0: This is The Difference, a podcast for nonprofit fundraising in a for-profit world, presented by Convergent Nonprofit Solutions, a leader in nonprofit fundraising. Convergence professionals can help your nonprofit secure sustainable funding now and for the future. Welcome, I'm Jay Worth. Our guest is Debbie Irwin, co-founder of the Manufactory Collective, not Manufacturing Collective, it's Manufactory Collective in Harrisonburg, Virginia. The Manufactory Collective is a space where makers, manufacturers, artisans, and entrepreneurials efforts can gain access to assembly, storage, and production space, large and specialized equipment, and industry experts to help them scale up their businesses. It was quite the undertaking for Debbie and those involved with this project. And it's a great story. And I liken it much to uh, the movie, The Field of Dreams. If you build it, they will come. And Debbie had quite the journey to get where they're receiving tenants uh, that are leasing space. And I want to hear, Debbie, the whole story. How did the idea originate to have what you're calling... uh, uniquely Manufactory Collective?
1: Yeah, that's a a really good question. My husband and I have gone a little back and forth on when this whole idea came to be. Um, The best that we can agree on is back in 2019, uh, I've been the executive director of the Shenandoah Community Capital Fund for five years now, been with the organization for six And he came to me with this business idea for a DIY garage, meaning a shared space for people who love to work on their cars, but don't have the space to do it, to be able to have access to lifts, specialized equipment, things like that, to do the work on their vehicles. Uh, Very similar to what he experienced when he was in auto society at Laterno University. And so I said, OK, if this is an idea you want to pursue, you have to come through SCCF's business boot camp, uh, which happened to be a class I was also teaching at the time. So I made my husband go through a class I was teaching, which was really funny. And so as he started talking about the idea more and more, we started to realize that there was more to this idea than just a shared space for people who love their cars and like to work on their cars. And the, the expansion of that idea came from when two of the entrepreneurs going through SCCF programs ran into specific problems when trying to produce the product that they were creating. There wasn't a local machine shop that would take them on at the low quantity they were working at or the machine shops who are uh, incredibly robust and have a lot of capabilities in the Shenandoah Valley had time for. And so you have these really great producers and and machine shops in the Valley, but they're they're taxed. They're overwhelmed uh, because there's so much stuff happening here. Uh, And so we're like, what happens if that entrepreneur would have had access to the piece of equipment they needed and the space they needed to produce it in? And so this DIY garage started to evolve uh, because I was in West Des Moines, Iowa, uh, and there is a manufacturing incubator in West Des Moines, and they are an electronics manufacturer. And as the component kept getting smaller and smaller and smaller, they kept having more and more and more warehouse space. So I said, what happens if we convert this? into an incubator and start helping these companies get off the ground and so I brought that back to Nate and I was like Nate this is it this is the thing like this is what we need to move in Uh, and so in 2021 we started looking at the building that we are leasing now Uh, we went to a local investor and real estate broker and said this is what the idea that we're hoping to do what do you think Uh, he's like I love the idea let's find you a building Um, And so he helped us find the building and we started doing feasibility studies. And then we kind of took it from there.
0: What was the most difficult stage in terms of getting the actual facility? Was it the location, the financing? What was the most difficult
1: I'd say the most difficult throughout this process has been particularly in the last six months. So we signed a lease on the building exactly a year ago and we had a financing contingency in there. Um, And so because we're leasing the building and we don't own it, um, that created a lot of barriers and access to capital for leasehold improvements. And so... Pretty early on in 2023, we came across an investor who said that they wanted to buy the building and do the build out for us, amortize that into the rent. Uh, They're going to be this great partner. Things were looking good. We started getting the documentation together, everything like that, and started moving the project forward. And then it turns out that that individual misrepresented themselves. Uh, So we went from being fully funded to having no money and a project that was already underway. And so the hardest moment came about six, six to seven weeks ago when I had to go onto LinkedIn and tell the community who had been following this for so long. At this point, we were 90% leased. We had members, we had tenants, we were ready to go. We just had to get the doors open. And so We had to go on LinkedIn and tell the world that this project's not going to happen. Like we have put our life savings into this. We have put blood, sweat, and tears into this literally because we did some of the renovation by like pulling up floors and carpet ourselves. And we just don't know how to make this thing work if we don't find someone with a creative idea who can help us get through this massive hurdle that we see no way out of. That vulnerability, we talk about it a lot in that we as humans appreciate vulnerability, but getting to the point where you can be that vulnerable and authentic is extremely difficult in entrepreneurship because everyone expects you to be able to succeed. And when you don't, then you're just a failed entrepreneur. And so a lot of conversations happened between my husband and I to say, okay, we're going to own the failure. We're going to tell people we don't know how to get through this, that we don't know what to do. Um, Let's see if there's any creative thinkers out there that can help us through this. Um, And so that moment of authenticity and vulnerability within a week of that post led to three really important conversations. And those three really important conversations led to 300000 in investment to get the project back online.
0: I think that is going to be the key takeaway from our conversation. Being vulnerable, being open to disclosure, full disclosure of the situation as is, and what is needed to be done, and you were bold and you made the request. Was it through like a GoFundMe portal, or how did how how did the money arrive?
1: It was through a really random collection of of places. We launched a crowdfund through Mainvest, which is a revenue share or equity-based crowdfunding application. They're doing really great work. They work with a lot of Main Street businesses, retail businesses, small products, uh, and help them get funded. Uh, So we launched that, but as we were launching that, we attracted the attention of some accredited investors, which we had pitched to 60 over the whole life of this project, we have pitched to 64 individuals. It took us till number 64 to get our first yes, or sorry, we took us to number 61 to get our first yes. And then 62, 63, 64 were the yeses. And within those conversations, we ended up being able to raise that 300,000 from private investors and we could shut down the crowdfund campaign and end up not having to use that uh, because we had really great private partners and then one CDFI, the community investment collaborative out of Charlottesville, um, did join on to the project as well. and so it's because we put it out there we put that crowdfund out there they started getting more of our information, our projections, everything like that um, that the investors saw a couple other people start to invest small amounts anywhere from a thousand to three thousand and they're like, I mean people are believing in this and putting their own, money in and they're not accredited investors. I think there's something here. And so it ended up that one of the first investors to come to the table uh, were a contact that we've had for 10 years. And so I think the other big key takeaway for me as I help entrepreneurs through the same process I've been through is relationships are vital, but sometimes we underestimate the relationships that we have. And so there are certain people we didn't even think to ask because we didn't know what their financial situation was. So we're like, oh, we can't ask them and come to find out they're one of our best funders. It again, goes to that vulnerability and authenticity and and the willingness to talk to your friends and talk to your contacts and talk to your the other relationships that you have. And so we had a lot of conversations with our parents who weren't in a position to be able to help with that but they were able to say like here's how we can support you and putting the call out there that hey I know that you can't do the monetary side but is there a connection that you can think about or is there someone who has equipment that they could either donate or we could acquire for cheaper and it was starting to change the ask to not if you can't give us money we don't want to talk to you to Can you please just help us brainstorm around this? Because there's got to be a way to make this happen. And we just can't figure out the creative way to do it. Uh, And so changing our ask ever so slightly also started to open up a lot of doors we hadn't considered previously.
0: Who is occupying the manufacturing collective? Tell me about the businesses. I believe that you said you're 90% leased. Is that right?
1: Well, now we're 100%.
0: Now now we're 100%. Okay.
1: (laughs) Um, So all of our like dedicated anchor spaces are leased out. So we have everything from a friendly city clay and art center. Um, And so they help with clay and with other types of art and other types of mediums. We have a screen printer who does amazing work. She's incredible. We have a vintage fabric sorcerer who makes her own clothing lines from vintage fabric. she's an industrial sewing we have a solar company. We have two organizations that train either four to nine-year-olds or nine to 12-year-olds on design thinking, innovative thinking, and advanced manufacturing. Um, so robotics and uh, desktop CNC milling uh, and things like that. Uh, we have a robotics cinematographer and a cinematographer, he does beautiful videography work, but also leverages robotics for it. And then we have an electrolyzer manufacturer. So he is in the clean energy innovation space, and then currently working on finalizing the deal with James Madison University to create a rapid prototyping center that community members could use. So the the biggest thing that we're working on building up next is a really robust machine shop. So that's where the CNC routers are going to go and things like that. And so making sure that that's a partnership with JMU engineering students so then their students can get some real life experience in with what the actual world is of advanced manufacturing.
0: I would assume it's important uh, when you have a major university or a robust community college in in a community that that type of partnership is almost required, wouldn't you say?
1: Oh, absolutely. And they're not the only ones that we see potential with um, Blue Ridge Community College, who has a really good certificate program. And one of the biggest needs for our space is either certifications or credentialing around the types of equipment that are going to be going into our space. Because if we do have a general membership, we're going to need to know that people know how to use the machines before we can let them use them when we're not there. There's a lot of opportunities when it comes to converging the innovation and creative ecosystem and making sure that people understand what the potential is. Because our original vision for the manufacturing Collective is not where we're at today. And we're glad that it's changed this much because what we realized is we needed to go a step back into the innovation process, which is really getting ideas out of your head and working with them. And so This first building of our hopefully five to 10 year plan really ends up being around that conversion of creativity and innovation. How can we start getting really cool product ideas out of people's heads into working prototypes that we can scale up into products? And I think you can't do that without having a university and community college partnership.
0: You said that you're 100% leased. How flexible are the leases or rental agreements to accommodate the changing needs of a startup
1: Yeah, it ranges anywhere from our rental studios are month to month, and then our anchor spaces are year leases with renewals attached to them. And then our flexible memberships are month to month, our dedicated workbenches are month to month. People can also just be a member if they need machine time once our machines are up and running as well. And so it really creates the environment for someone to come and test out an idea or test out a new version of their prototype or go and do that one once a month run that they need to for their product. And so that's a big thing for us right now. We've also had some people come to us with different ideas of things that they need produced that creates a even more interesting opportunity eventually for students to take on some of that work. Um, and so that's a, a longer term goal for us as well is if we're finding local products that need to be made to support our entrepreneurs, can we have our uh, students be running those businesses? there's some cool ways to make sure that our university students and even our high school students are actually starting to get a glimpse of what entrepreneurship is actually like in the real world.
0: Is there enough room there for these fledgling businesses to scale up their operations uh, before they potentially move out?
1: Yes. So the anchor spaces range anywhere from 500 square feet to 1900 square feet with the average anchor space being about 750 square feet which ends up being a decent size for a small batch manufacturer but that's where ecosystem building comes into play and so there's really great places all across the Shenandoah Valley that if you if we can continue to build the relationships that we've started with them there's a flex space that we know about that's about 16,000 square feet that can be broken down into 4,000 square foot spots That's the partnerships that we want to build. So as soon as we're ready to kick an entrepreneur out of our space, which we hope usually takes two to three years less if they're really aggressive, we can kick them out over into that space and say, okay, here's your next 4,000 square feet. Oh, you need more than that? You can actually expand into 8,000 square feet. And so the hope is to really start helping these companies get through that earliest stage. Of scaling because the Shenandoah Valley has got a lock on transportation and logistics. They've got a lock on some of the warehousing and things like that. And so, if we can really lean into some of the things we're already good at, we're going to see some really great things happening in light manufacturing here.
0: So, how does your shared workspace foster collaboration and knowledge sharing among uh, the different tenants?
1: I think one of the biggest things is entrepreneurship is a very lonely journey. So being able to be in a space where others get exactly where you're at uh, is really beneficial. Uh, And so having the common areas, the kitchen, the break rooms, things that we have for the entrepreneurs to come together, they're already talking with each other about collaborative events, already wanting to sign up for like first Fridays and things like that for Harrisonburg. And so there's an energy that comes from early entrepreneurs being able to look at another person and know that they're also early and say, hey, can you commiserate with me? Because this is really hard. And so that's the biggest part of having shared space rather than just having these entrepreneurs do it in their kitchen or in their sheds or in the garage is being around peers that know exactly what they're going through. So there'll be some curated events that we do around that. Uh, We'll try to do some hackathons, other things like that to really get people in the space and excited about creating new things.
0: What is a hackathon?
1: Great question. It depends on who you're talking to. There's two versions. Um, so in the very, very traditional sense, of a hackathon. It'll be something that like Google or Facebook would host and they would have a certain problem uh, and you'd have to go try to hack the problem. You have to try to fix the problem. That definition has been expanded a little bit. So JMU has hosted some hackathons before where like VDOT came in with a very specific transportation issue. And they said, okay, students, you have 24 hours to figure out how to solve this problem get a product out of your head, see if you can get it to a proof of concept, and then we can go from there. So it's a way to start sparking some ideas. And so that's a really great thing that our entrepreneurs that are using our space could then go to local students and say, hey, I'm hosting a hackathon. So the solar company wants to do it. It's like, hey, I'm hosting a hackathon. We need to find different ways to attach solar panels to things other than roofs like, see if you can help us create some type of hardware that could help with that, or a different type of attachment, or we need more, we need a different looking solar panel, like things like that. If you push, pitch it out to students in the community, just like we did when we couldn't find funding, we pitched it out there and said, we don't know how to get through this. Someone else has to have a better idea than us. Uh, It's that community creation collective concept. Uh, So that's another reason why collectives is in the manufacturing collective name.
0: Your project will have an impact on the community. How are you publicizing or communicating to the greater community at large about uh, the Manufactory Collective?
1: I'm still working on that part. Um, A big part for me right now has been the LinkedIn platform, which is... Way more robust than I expected it to be and has a lot more activity than I expected. I think once we're up and running, it'll be a lot more storytelling and partnership with the tenants in the space. We have had some great conversations with statewide partners like Gen Edge um, and BEDP and Virginia Innovation Partnership Corporation. Um, so, being able to, to bring their folks by and walk them through the space and show them what the potential is of the Shenandoah Valley. So, it's using partners like them to help amplify the message. And so for us right now, it's a lot of partnership with those organizations that can help amplify our message is where we'll be starting with in that first quarter of next year.
0: In other words, getting the word out, communicating uh, to all strategic partners or collaborators is so so important. This has been a fascinating uh, conversation. Our listeners are inspired by much of what you've said and some of them are going to want to reach out to you. Do you have bandwidth to visit with folks about an idea that, that you've executed there?
1: Absolutely. So they can always reach out. We have a contact form on our website of manufactorycollective.com. They can also reach me at debbie at manufactorycollective.com. We're always happy to chat, talk about the project more. It will be a little bit of a hectic time for these next six weeks as we're in active construction, really trying to get our doors open at the beginning of next year. Once we're past this really intense construction phase, then we'll have a little bit more bandwidth to chat with people about where they hope to see the project go and how they would want to get involved.
0: Well, again, I appreciate your openness on that and really stating very clearly that maybe not tomorrow, don't contact Debbie, but And by the start of the new year, that will be a good time if you have an interest in establishing an innovative, uh, collaborative environment for startup businesses that uh, Debbie has managed to pull off with strategic partners coming from a variety of sources to make this dream happened. So it really is a field of dreams and another venue coming to the fore here and congratulations. For resources to assist with your fundraising efforts, go to convergentnonprofit.com and click on the resources tab on our homepage. I'm Jay Wirth. Thanks for listening.